Hello, and welcome to Season 8, Episode 9 of Dr. Music. I am Matthew Marullo. Thank you so much for joining me. If you've heard any of my prior episodes, you know that I like a lot of different types of music. Of course, classical music, but I also appreciate jazz and some popular music and film music. And if you listen to my prior episodes, you might also know that one of my all-time favorite film composers is John Williams. John Williams is the second most Oscar-nominated human being in history, second only to Walt Disney. He's been nominated for 53 Academy Awards. He won five. And he is just an absolute jewel in the world of music in general, not just film music. An incredibly talented composer, to say the very least. And regardless of your taste in music, we would all do well to listen to his best music. And today, I would like to play one of my favorite cues from all of his movies, and arguably one of his best scores that he ever wrote. I'm referring to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was done in 1977, along with Star Wars. He was very busy that year, writing the scores to two incredibly great science fiction classics, Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And since he wrote them basically in the same year, the following year, he was competing against himself in the Academy Awards. So he was nominated for Best Score for Star Wars, nominated for Best Score for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and of course he won for Star Wars. Now I must tell you, as a professional musician, somebody who's studied music theory and music history, regardless of the fact of how popular Star Wars is, and it's true, the Star Wars soundtrack is incredibly popular. Everybody knows the opening Star Wars theme. And it's true, Star Wars is a great score, and he deserved to, to win that Oscar. But regardless of the fact that Star Wars is definitely, out of the two scores, the more popular, and it is a great score, there is something to be said about general artistic level in a piece of music, of course. When you compare two pieces of music, we can look at the music historically, technically, and get a pretty good idea of why one piece of music is better more well-written than another piece of music. And I have to say, as a professional musician, that the score to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, from a purely objective musical perspective, it is actually a better score. As great as the Star Wars score is, Close Encounters achieves even greater artistic heights. And I can say that by considering the last 20 minutes of the score of the film, which is just, in the realm of film music, is just an incredible achievement unto itself. And saying this, this is not to lessen to any degree the achievement of Star Wars as a score. That is a great score from beginning to end. But he outdoes himself with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The writing that he does in the last 20 minutes of that film is just in a different realm. And it deserves to be in a different realm just because of the nature of the scene. So I'm going to be talking about that scene. And if you haven't seen the film, I'm going to try not to give too much away. But if you really want to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you might not want to listen to me first. You might want to watch the film from beginning to end so that you're completely surprised. I should also mention that this was not the only time that John Williams competed against himself for the Oscars. He did so when he wrote the score to AI, Artificial Intelligence, against his own score, 
Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And another time, actually, he did before that, he was competing against himself when he wrote the score to Empire of the Sun against his score for The Witches of Eastwick. All great scores. Out of all the movies that I mentioned, the only one that he actually won the Academy Award for was Star Wars. He also won for Jaws and E.T. and Schindler's List and for his arrangement of Fiddler on the Roof. Now, just a little bit of a background. Close Encounters is about aliens visiting the planet Earth, abducting some of its citizens in different times to study them, and to also give them the experience of meeting another alien civilization. And the people who actually come in contact with the aliens, in other words, have a close encounter on Earth, they start to have visions of this mountain in Wyoming, and they can't understand why they keep seeing this mountain in their head. It's actually not a mountain. It's called a butte. When I say that, I don't mean that it's beautiful. I mean, it happens to be beautiful, but technically it's called a butte, B-U-T-T-E, which is basically a mountain with a flat top. And the main character, Roy, played by Richard Dreyfus, is one of the individuals who has a vision of this butte. And so together with this other lady named Jillian, played by Melinda Dillon, they go to investigate, and they find that it is Devil's Tower, which is a real butte in Wyoming. And they find out that this is indeed where the aliens have designated where they're going to meet the Earthlings to show themselves. And that's the big scene at the end, where the mothership shows up. This huge mothership shows up at Devil's Tower. And this is a major cinematic experience. As a matter of fact, I believe Spielberg called it the experience because it occupies quite a large chunk of the movie at the very end. And if you're going to give your viewing audience a transcendental experience where these aliens show up, then you better have transcendental music. And who better to write that than Mr. John Williams? I should also note parenthetically that Steven Spielberg did not really appreciate the timing of when his movie came out because... In the same year, Star Wars came out, so Close Encounters would have done a lot better in the box office had it not been competing with Star Wars. Come on, guys, you just can't compete with Star Wars. By the way, if you look at the highest-grossing films of all time adjusted for inflation, Star Wars, the original Star Wars from 1977, is number two, second only to Gone with the Wind. Where is Close Encounters on that list? Oh, all the way down to number 82. But not to worry, Steven Spielberg, he still made the top 10 with number 4 as E.T. and number 7 as Jaws. Well, what is it about these last 20 minutes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind that make it so special? Well, because so many things are happening and so many different emotions in the last 20 minutes, the style of the music ranges from 19th century romanticism all the way to 20th century experimental music. In the very beginning of the scene, you're not sure what to expect from the aliens. Are they hostile? Are they aggressive? Are they going to attack? You don't know. It's very mysterious. But then as the scene progresses, we learn that their intentions are not hostile, but they're actually very friendly and just as curious as we are. And it's true that they did abduct humans, but not to hurt them, just to get to know them, get to know our species, and they had every intention of returning them. Still, it's a pretty traumatic experience watching your five-year-old little boy being abducted by aliens, which is one of the scenes in the movie. Now, if you happen to listen to Season 1, Episode 10 of this podcast, I was talking about something called textualism, which is what it sounds like. A composer will emphasize the texture of the music. In other words, the interaction of the instruments or the interaction of the melodic lines, not so much 
the melody, not so much harmonic progression, but it's like a soundscape, the texture. And sometimes when 20th century composers are writing a piece based on texture, they will use aleatoric techniques or indeterminism, where the performer is not required to come in at a very specific time. They have freedom of when to come in or how slow or how fast to play the notes. So it's a freer type of composition so that every single performance is going to definitely sound quite different because every performer is going to do something a little bit different. And John Williams employs this technique, especially in the very beginning of this cue. So for a wonderful example of texturalism and some indeterminism, we can listen to the very beginning of this scene where... Again, we're not sure of the intentions of the aliens at this point. We're not sure what's going to happen with that huge mothership. So the viewing audience is meant to feel very uneasy and unsettled here. And one of the most dramatic moments of this scene is where the mothership lowers itself right where they constructed this runway and then kind of does an about-face. The entire ship rotates all the way around. And preceding this, what we hear are the strings playing very, very fast notes in grouped patterns, and every section of the string orchestra is playing different notes. So it sounds like a texture. In other words, you don't hear a chord per se. You don't hear any chord progression. It's an effect that John Williams is after because they're all playing different notes at the same time very quickly. And it ends on, you can almost call it a D minorish quality, but it's really pan-diatonic, and I did a whole episode on pan-diatonicism. That's when the composer throws in a lot of different notes to a particular chord. So many notes of an entire scale can be in the chord. And he does this because it's a majestic moment when the mothership rotates, and it looks like an entire city. It's so huge, so it's, it's quite an effect. And John Williams rightly does not choose a very conventional chord, like for instance just a, a D minor triad, he adds so many notes to make the chord glitter as much as the spaceship is glittering. So now I'm going to play the excerpt I was talking about. It begins with what sounds like a rumble. That is simply the low strings playing very, very fast notes in patterns. But again, the idea is not to give the impression of a chord, but to give the impression of a texture. Now, at the very end of that excerpt, you might have noticed a very recognizable theme, except it's not a theme. It's only five notes. And when Spielberg was talking to John Williams about the score, he said, I need kind of a, a tonal calling card for these aliens. I need some way for the Earthlings to communicate with the aliens through music, which is an ingenious idea. 
they can't speak the same language, but at least through music, maybe they communicate. So these five notes are a way of Earth saying, hello, we're friendly. But even though this melody is only five notes, it is not easy to come up with one that's so memorable and recognizable. So John Williams and Steven Spielberg went through hundreds before they finally decided on the right one. And the one they chose was this one. And you might remember, if you've seen the film, when the mothership lands, they do indeed communicate with each other using these five notes just to start out, and then the tonal communication becomes a lot more complicated. Let me play you a sample from the film where the oboe is playing the five notes and the mothership is doing its best to reply in kind playing a tuba sound. Let's listen to that. So that's almost a little piece unto itself, a dialogue between the oboe and the tuba, or Earth and the aliens. Things start to get really interesting when the mothership opens up a ramp so that all the people that they abducted in the past can now exit. So it's an outlandish event, but it's also a very heartwarming event. And how do you express that? I mean, this is not your everyday homecoming. I mean, these are people coming from an alien spaceship. Well, listen to how John Williams paints this musically, with little dabs of color here and there. Now, at this point of the film, the government officials who had organized the whole event at Devil's Tower had selected a group of citizens to go on the spaceship. And the main character, Roy, who was not authorized to be there, but he snuck in, decides kind of on the fly that he's going to volunteer, too, to go on the spaceship. And the aliens actually pick him out. There's something about him that they really like. And they kind of usher him in. They say, hey, you're our man. By the way, Spielberg was quoted as saying that when he made this film, he was very young and didn't have a family of his own. So this kind of behavior was indicative of his young age at the time, because later on when he had a family, he probably would have not just picked up and left them and gone on a spaceship. I mean, just think about what this guy is doing. This guy has a wife and three kids, and without even consulting them, he just decides on a whim... I think I'm just going to go on the spaceship. Who knows if I'll ever return or when I'll return? That's the kind of decision a bachelor makes, right? Not a married guy. Well, most of the time anyway. I'm sure there's a lot of people, regardless of the fact of whether they're married or not, would be very enthusiastic about saying, all right, take me away. I don't care where I go. So I'd like to play you the music leading up to this point where Roy decides to go on the spaceship, and it's really John Williams at his best. And he also works in a very familiar theme. I'm not going to tell you what the theme is. Listen to it 
and see if he could guess what film it's from. So, did you recognize the theme? It is When You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio. And I think Steven Spielberg has a special place in his heart for Pinocchio because there is a scene with Roy and his family, and he's suggesting to his children that they go see Pinocchio, but they would rather play goofy golf. So I think it's great how John Williams works in the piece When You Wish Upon a Star at the conclusion of this great movie where the aliens are really reaching out to the humans and vice versa, expressing friendship for each other and communicating through music, no less. Now, in the excerpt I just played, do you remember the part where the woodwinds are playing these high gliding chords? Let me just play that for you. Those chords are meant to evoke a very ethereal, mysterious quality, something that you can't do with ordinary means. John Williams uses a very familiar 20th century technique. It's called polytonality. Polytonality is when you have two key centers played at the same time. Composers like Igor Stravinsky love using polytonality. So if you can imagine if you're playing the piano and your right hand is playing an E major triad, and remember a triad is a chord of three notes, and your left hand is playing a different key, a D minor triad. That's polytonality. And the kind of effect that John Williams is after can only be done through polytonality. It's the only way you could really achieve that sense of marvel and magic that's occurring in this scene. Now, another one of my favorite moments is when Roy is about to enter the spaceship and, you know, into the mothership, and he's looking behind him because he knows he's going to be leaving Earth. Who knows how long he's going to be leaving? And it's his one last look, looking at everybody there and kind of just resigning himself to the fact that, yes, I think I'm going to do this. And when he actually turns to go in the mothership, you hear this bright, shimmering E major chord. And you'll know when it comes. Here it is.
What's great about that music is the sense of excitement and urgency because Roy really wants to do this, but at the same time, you know, he's going to be saying goodbye. And and finally, he just relents and decides to go in. Now, remember I said that that very last chord was an E major chord? What I find very interesting is that the first chord of that excerpt was also E major, although when you get that very last chord, it sounds fresh. It doesn't sound like we're returning to the first chord. Let me just play that part in segments on the piano just to show you how he did that. First, he starts like this. So there were two different chords in what I just played. The first one was E major-ish, but pan-diatonic, and that he added a lot of notes to that E major chord, which is why it sounds very fresh when you hear it unadorned at the very end. But then he goes to C major after that, and now I'm going to play what he does next. He, he basically goes around the key center of F major. And then right after this, and this is very typical of John Williams, he suddenly goes into a key that's not related to any of the previous keys. He goes into a black note key, F sharp major. And then he goes right back to a white note key, C major, and kind of slides his way back into that final glorious E major chord using the dominant of E major right before it. And at that climactic moment, you can hear again how he worked in When You Wish Upon a Star. The next excerpt that I want to play for you that occurs in the same scene is like kind of like a very peaceful lullaby. It's almost like the music is patting you on the back and saying, see, everything turned out okay. These aliens are not going to zap you. And even though there have been so many movies in the past where the aliens were hostile and aggressive and they wanted to just kill off Earth, it could be the other way around. It could be that there are beings out there who are really seeking comradeship and, and peace. What I really love about this excerpt that I'm about to play for you is that when you think of a lullaby, you don't think of a melody that's leaping all over the place. And that's what this is. This is a disjunct melody. A disjunct melody is where the notes are leaping quite a lot, not a whole lot of stepwise motion. And yet it is so peaceful and so tranquil and kind of paints a musical picture of the universal bond of all life forms, not just life on earth, all life forms. That music is just all about utter tranquility and serenity. 
I should also point out that John Williams uses a lot of sonorities that are very rich, and that's from his jazz background, because when he studied jazz music, you study chords that are quite complicated. It's not just a simple triad of three notes, but has added factors like a seventh, a ninth, or an eleventh, and so on. I'd like to play you one more excerpt from the very same scene. To me, it's like the majesty of the alien civilization meeting up with us and forming this communal bond. There's majesty in that. I mean, oh my God, this is aliens from another planet, and we're friends with them now. So John Williams needed to compose a theme that somehow evoked the wonder and the majesty of that idea. And this is another very beautiful melody with a lot of disjunct motion, a lot of leaping, but it's one that only John Williams can do. Star Wars, but I got to tell you, that music is just on a different artistic plane than Star Wars. Now finally, listen to how that five-note theme that John Williams composed becomes triumphant as the mothership flies away. this time the end credits are rolling and if i love the music i will watch all the end credits well if you haven't seen close encounters of the third kind for a while or if you've never seen it at all i hope this episode inspired you to see it or see it again it's one of my favorite films not just because of john williams but i just love the movie hope to see you next time because one thing about dr music it just gets better and better